Please note that the views expressed on this program are those of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily those of Portsmouth Community Radio, its Board of Trustees, members, volunteers, or underwriters. Good evening and welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co-host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey, a journey into the unknown, where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness, where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown, and back. And good evening, and welcome once again to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. I am your host, Willie Hassel, your gatekeeper to the dark side, your guide to the realm of the unknown, the unseen, the unthinkable. And she is the always lovely, (laughs) she is the mystical, and she is the very oh-so-mysterious Lynn Nickerson. How are you this uh, wonderful snowy night? Hello, Willie. I'm doing just dandy, thank you. Oh, good. Putting up with the roads. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to and you. Happy and Happy New Year to everybody. Everybody else, yep. yes. Very nice. I'm sitting here picking off these black hairs, and I don't know where they come from. They sort of look like Bigfoot hairs. Bigfoot hairs. Yeah, they're very well, weird looking. <laughs> we, we, we know they're not mine since, <laughs> since mine are all gray. Yeah, you were eliminated immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the forensic evidence proves I'm innocent. Well, would you oh. like to tell us, uh, our audience, about tonight's show? No. Uh, you do. I know you do. I yeah. see right through you. Yeah, yeah, you caught me. <laughs> tonight on Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. Uh, so tonight on the show, Lynn and I are going to have one of our discussions among ourselves. And we would like to talk a little bit about strange mists in, in the paranormal. <clears throat> Are they associated with portals? Are they ghosts trying to manifest? Are they just natural phenomenon? Or, in some cases, they be, may be cloaking devices used by the government. Strange clouds or mists appear in all different colors, all places, and situations, from haunted mansions to the Bermuda Triangle to the battlefields of World War I. So let's take a look at some of these strange stories and see what we can uncover. Yeah. And well, I do want to mention before we get started, if you have a story of your own, um, perhaps a ghost story involving some sort of a mist, or just a comment, uh, you can give us a call at 603-430-9722. 
Yeah, Willie and I had kept running into stories about unexplainable myths mm. when we were researching different paranormal occurrences. So we decided to take a closer look at you know what they are and what might be causing them. So we came to realize that the experiencers come from a broad cross-section of society and not just from one particular group. And we also learned that the occurrences of these myths are very prevalent across the spectrum of paranormal experiences, some of which include, like Willie mentioned, or to add to what Willie mentioned, UFO sightings or encounters, strange creature sightings, and then, of course, disappearances of ships, airplanes, and people. So we don't have enough time within an hour to offer an example from each category, but tonight we will begin to review some of them. So while many of these occurrences transpire under similar circumstances, there are elements intrinsic to other sightings that vary with the environment and the situation. So in other words, they're, they're not always the same. So there's a varying set of rules or conditions, which makes it very difficult to arrive at a, a blanket statement that explains everything. So there truly seems to be no quick and easy answer to all of this. Um, so tonight... We'll focus on mists that other people have experienced in the green, white, gray, and black color spectrum. There are even some that have seen orange mists. I don't have an example of those, though. So we'll offer some speculative suggestions as to what this could all mean. But I've, I've got to warn you, you've got to keep in mind that um, typical laws physics, as we know them, simply don't seem to apply here. They're there seems to be no definitive answers. So tonight, Willie was thinking of covering the green mist that engulfed USS Eldridge during the Philadelphia experiment, as well as a, a troop of soldiers that disappeared during World War II. And then there are some strange accounts of, of fog or mist that baffled people enough to venture when they ventured within the, the uh, Bermuda Triangle. So those are a couple of Willie stories, and we'll sort of trade off on each other. Um but as for my stories, I came across several tales of green mists occurring in the out-of-doors. And these stories come from uh, very reliable witnesses who, for the most part, wish to remain anonymous. So we know that they're not sinking, uh, seeking, I'm sorry, seeking celebrity. So, for example, one experiencer has had many paranormal encounters, and two of which include the green mist. And he's um, a county sheriff... Uh, county sheriff's deputy for the state of Wisconsin. So I thought maybe I might start off with the county sheriff from Wisconsin. Um, this episode happens to appear in one of Linda Godfrey's books, and it's called Monsters Among Us. And she's developed um, a, r a really good relationship with this guy in that he calls her whenever he has these um, these various episodes. So she names him Kevin in the book. It's under uh, the little chapter titled The Green Haze. Kevin's first encounter with a green mist was at dusk on a clear day as he sat doing paperwork in his squad car. He had parked in the gravel lot next to the expansive marth, marsh and footpath that leads into a dark, hilly wood just north of the city of Burlington, Wisconsin. Now, the phenomenon that appeared to be larger to be a large area of rolling green haze was something that he had never seen before. Kevin said he didn't know exactly where the mist came from. It just suddenly appeared in the adjacent cattail marsh without seeming to rise from it. 
The haze then proceeded to move toward him as if on a mission of its own. So Kevin watched the haze, fascinated as it began to drift in a northwesterly direction, straight towards his squad car. As the haze drew near, it suddenly began to affect the vehicle's electronic systems, and although the car's engine kept running at the same R- the, the RPM rates did slow down, um, and the headlights dimmed to where they could barely be discernible, the computer screen blanked out, and the fully charged portable police radio appeared to be dead. So here's a, a police officer sitting in his car, and he's got no police radio. This dampening effect continued as the haze changed course slightly to the north and then wafted its way into the woods. Kevin said at that point it simply vanished into the trees. And he states to Linda, everything operated normally once it was gone, even the portable police radio. It's hard to say how the large how large an area the haze was since I was never really inside it, but judging from the length of it, I would say it was at least an acre. This haze was at least an acre large. And he goes on to say too, he, he tried to analyze what happened and he said I don't I don't know the span of the of time. However, when I was parked in the lot the sky was still pink to the west and when the haze was gone, the sky was dark, and it was at the end of my shift, about 10 p.m. And he goes on to say that he thinks maybe he he lost a half an hour of time, but it really sounds to me like it, from it sunset sounds, to almost 10, an uh, hour or depending more. Depending what part of, what part of the country, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like kind of a long time. It does seem yeah. like a long time. So he's, he's thinking he's uh, just lost a couple of minutes mm. of time. Maybe he so, lost more like, like an hour or so. I, I think so, too. And he says, I didn't realize at the time, but I based this on the fact that I pulled into the lot just after sunset. Um, So he doesn't say anything about this haze affecting him in any way, but it arose from nowhere, and it affected the car's electronic system, Mm. although the car still kept running. Um, And then it disappeared, and who knows how long it lasted. There seems to be a lot of cases in which these fogs or hazes uh, affect electronics yes. in, in different things. Yes, they yeah. do. So this um, this police officer did actually encounter another green haze. I won't get into that, but what I think is really relevant is the, the electronics and what happened with the mm. Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, the Philadelphia experiment and, and other things. Yeah, yeah and other yeah. things. But you've got yeah. something on the Philadelphia experiment tonight, right? I do. Oh, would you like to uh, read it to our audience? Well, if you're ready, <laughs> I will do that. Yeah, I am. I think uh, know, it's intriguing, the, the similarities. Yeah, well, this, this of course, is another example of a green mist. And this is something, a subject which we, of course, have discussed here on the show. Uh, we actually, we've done a couple of complete shows on the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, we have, yeah. Um, but uh, just to kind of recap, and, and you know, since we're, we're discussing mists, it was in June... <clears throat> Of 1943, before it was officially commissioned, the USS Eldridge, a uh, destroyer escort number 173, was being fitted with tons of experimental electronic equipment, which included two massive generators mounted where the forward turret would have been, distributing their power through four magnetic coils mounted on the deck. And without getting into all the technical stuff involved, the generators, along with a host of other specialized hardware, were employed to generate a massive electronic field which, when properly configured, would be able to bend light and radio waves around the ship. 
That's interesting. Thus making mm-hmm. it, uh, they figured, invisible to enemy radar. Mm-hmm. And this was the uh, U.S. Navy's experiment to render ships invisible to radar. Mm-hmm. Well, the experiment took place at the Philadelphia Navy Yard at 0900 hours on July 22nd of 1943. The power to the generators was turned on, and the massive electronic field was built up around the ship. A green fog was then seen to slowly rise and totally envelop the ship, concealing it from view. Then after a couple minutes, the fog itself disappeared, taking the eldritch with it, leaving only undisturbed water where the ship had been anchored only a few minutes before. To the amazement of the elite officers of the Navy, the ship and the crew were not only invisible to radar, but became invisible to the eye as well. After 15 minutes, the generators were shut down, the greenish fog reappeared, and the eldritch began to rematerialize. Then the final test was conducted on the 28th of October, 1943, at 7.15 a.m. As the electromagnetic field generators were turned on again, once again, the eldritch became engulfed in a thick green mist, and came invisible. Were you going to say something? I was going to say. You look like you're going to say something. I hope they had breakfast before this happened. Oh, you wouldn't want to do this on an empty uh, stomach. You would believe not. Me. Exactly my point. Although to some of them it wasn't going to matter. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, being, uh, engulfed in a green mist and became invisible. Only a faint outline, outline of the hull remained visible in the water. Everything went as predicted for a few seconds, and then in a blinding flash, the ship completely vanished. Within seconds, it reappeared miles away in Norfolk, Virginia, and was seen for several minutes. Then the Eldridge disappeared from Norfolk and reappeared back in Philadelphia Navy Yard. This time, most of the men were violently sick. Some of them were simply missing, never to return, never Mm -hmm. seen again. But the strangest of all were the five men who were fused to the metal in the ship's structures. That, I think, is the most tragic. Ooh, really. Uh, So this, of course, was not only a case of rendering a ship invisible to enemy radar. It also made the ship and her crew completely invisible to the naked eye as well. But it gets even stranger, as it is not only a case of an invisibility, but also a case of teleportation and time travel. Not only was the Eldridge spotted in Norfolk shipyard, she was also seen in various places around the country and at times far into the future. That is the story. That is kind of hard to fathom. It of course, is. this whole incident is oh, denied. Yeah, and, you know? Oh, yeah. The Navy says, what? No. Yeah, never no such happened. thing ever happened. Yeah. But so it's, it's one of those things we'll never really know the truth. But there are a lot of but. people that participated and... They believe it happened. Yeah. But the green mist situation, um, there seems to be, especially in this case, a connection to electromagnetic activity. Yeah. And acting as a portal. Yeah. In this case, it was man-made electromagnetic uh, intentionally. Yeah. And as a portal. But you know, Willie, I think when they did that, they were only planning on invisibility, cloaking, but they wound up creating some kind of a portal. I don't think that that was one of the goals of this experiment. I think it was primarily cloaking, but they transported it somewhere else. Something happened. Yeah, I I guess the official goal of this experiment was uh, cloaking from radar. 
Yeah. And then they, they got a little bit more than they, they had expected. bargained for. Yeah. So the electromagnetic <clears throat> mist seemed to also act as some kind of portal, at least some kind mm. of interface with another dimension. Didn't seem to be another universe, but at least another dimension. Another dimension, you say? another time. Another timeline. Yeah. And it's hard to say, is it another dimension? Is it another world? What is it? But I don't know. Laws uh, of physics, you know, um, the laws just of don't physics, seem to apply. Uh, it certainly would have been something nice to uh, to witness. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want to have been oh, there. Those poor men fused no. to the ship. No, it, I, to I me, wouldn't want to have been there to find out. It must have not only it kind of demolecularized them, like it scrambled all of their molecules and then it, they were all reassembled, but mm. not all in the same way. Yeah, reassembled along with the molecules of the of the steel hull yeah, of the ship. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, how did they get that screwed up? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that was well, Einstein. They weren't uh, anticipating it, so. Yeah, that was Einstein's fault, wasn't it? Uh, I don't mm. think it was his fault. Oh, okay. I think somebody got really greedy and wanting information. Yeah, maybe. And didn't thoroughly research. But, but anyways, uh, you know, another case. Uh, we'll go uh, ahead. Another case of uh, uh, electronic fog. Uh, this was a strange flight over the Bahamas, which took place on December 4th of 1970. Oh, yes. I, I remember that. Yeah, and this is uh, it's a report by a man named uh, Jernan. I, I don't have his first name, unfortunately, who was a first-hand witness to a strange phenomena that some people call electronic fog. Uh, on December 4th of 1970, Jernan and his dad were flying their Bonanza A36 over the Bahamas en route to Bimini. They encountered a strange cloud phenomenon. It appeared to be a tunnel-shaped vortex. As they flew their plane into the vortex, they could actually hear the plane's wings scraping the side of the vortex. That's, that's kind now, of strange. that I didn't that's, hear. Oh, you didn't see no, that part? No, just that the, um, um, the panels, the electronics went mm. haywire. Yeah, that's that. I don't understand. I mean, that would make the, wow. the vortex sound like something solid. Yeah. But all of the plane's electronics and magnetic navigation instruments malfunctioned. The magnetic compass spun inexplicably. As they neared the end of the tunnel, they expected to see clear blue sky. Instead, they saw nothing but dull grayish-white for miles and miles. Hmm. They couldn't see any ocean, no sky, or not even a horizon, for that matter. After flying for 34 minutes... That's important. 34 minutes. They found themselves over Miami Beach. Now, remember, they were headed for Bimini. For Bimini. But in 34 minutes, they found themselves over Miami Beach, a flight which, under normal circumstances, would have taken 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, mm. were they in... Where were they? Yeah. What kind of a, what kind of a strange tunnel were they in? Uh, is that a case of... Time? Missing time? Uh, oh, I'd definitely say uh, missing time, yeah. No, it's not. It doesn't say well, missing time, but I mean, they made a 75-minute... Yeah, they made a 75-minute trip in 34 minutes, so... Yeah. Or is it... I don't know. Oh, I, I think, I number one, they were probably transported to somewhere. Uh, if they're missing time, they were transported somewhere. Uh, another dimension? Uh, I don't know. Maybe time uh, was bent, so it was a shorter distance? I don't know. Something strange happened. Something and, strange happened. I didn't. Uh, I should have looked at a map. I'm not sure from the Bahamas to Bimini, if that's an 
But di- right. opposite direction than Miami, I think. It is opposite. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I haven't got a map so, in my head, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't either. I should have, <laughs> I I should have looked close. it up, but you know, <laughs> I can't think of everything. But I mean, they they uh, they ended up completely off course in a different direction, and and arrived. I don't know. What's that? Forty five minutes or so before they should have got there. So his last name is Jernan, G-E-R-N-A-N. N O N. N O N. Okay, and he's supposed to be writing a book on this, isn't he? I think he is. Yeah. Um, I'd like to get a hold of that book. That yeah, that'd be uh, just interesting to see. You know, to get the more in-depth yeah story of what he actually experienced. Uh, him and his um, what was it? His son. Right? Yeah, him and his, his son. Oh, his father. No, him and his father. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what he saw for a tunnel wasn't it kind of like white clouds? Yeah, um, that's what he that's what he described it as is, is like white clouds and in, in forming a like a, uh, a tunnel him. a tunnel shape weird, weird. vortex. But the part that really I still don't get is hearing the wings scraping. Oh, I just think that's ultra eerie. It's it's either a solid object or the the clouds were just really really thick and actually you know <laughs> I mean no thick I'm not and crispy. Th- <laughs> yeah, not thick to the point that, that they were actually scraping, but they just sounded like it, you know? I, I don't know. Don't quite know what to make of that one. It does make you question. Um, it makes you wonder what the heck this this misty thing is. Yeah. Well, I've got another incident. It is um, regarding a green mist. Again, it is found in Linda Godfrey's book, Monsters Among Us. And she has um, she she interviewed three different people. She interviewed Kevin, the uh, sheriff's deputy, extensively. He had had many experiences, and she met with him and took notes. Of course, she also met with this hunter. His name is Glenn Ardenson, A R N T Z E N, and he had a very peculiar encounter with a green mist, his was a bit different. It was almost as if this mist was sentient. Uh, so he found himself at 9 o'clock one morning during hunting season uh, out in the middle of the woods. I mean, he deliberately went there and he spied a, a small yearling deer in a swamp near the Escanaba River at uh, State Forest in Michigan's Upper Peninsula area near the small community of Helps. H-E-L-P-S. Helps. Helps. Yeah. I think okay, they, that should tell you something right there. They'd be in a lot of trouble up there. <laughs> okay, he had just decided that the animal was too scrawny to shoot when the whole world around him mm-hmm. instantly changed. And he said, all of a sudden, the swamp appeared to take on this green as hue. He said in a letter, which he sent to Linda, describing his, his experience, he says... I mean, the trees, the ground, the sky, all appeared this greenish color. Even the air, I don't know how to explain it. Even more weirdly, the green air seemed to affect this little deer. Arnson watched as it shivered and then lay down, its head on the ground. At the same time, a wave of powerful yet conflicting emotions hit Arnson. He said, I had this weird feeling, one of sadness, remorse, shame, and sorrow. It was so weird, I wanted to stick my head out of the blind, excuse me, and look up at the sky, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. 
So he continues as the green hue passed over him. It rolled over into the swamp and then just disappeared. But as it rolled over the top of his blind, he felt as if it was sucking the intense emotion of sad gloom from him and replacing those feelings with a euphoric state. He said, I had this feeling that I wanted to call out to it and say, Hey, wait, don't go. Come on back. He says, I was instantly very happy. It was very strange. The green glow's passing also affected the little deer, which it leapt to its feet and it dashed off, strangely enough, in the same direction that the glow was headed. Hmm. Weird, huh? So Arnson said that the emotional roller coaster left him feeling for some time afterward as if he was on the verge of tears one second and then extremely happy the next. He has no history of psychological problems and has never experienced anything like it since. A relative he confided in tried to convince him that the anomaly was caused by maybe a low-pressure system in the atmosphere, but Arnson says vehemently, no, it had nothing to do with that. He was, he said it was way more than that. It was something else. It was the weirdest thing that has ever mm-hmm. happened to me in my life. Arnson estimated that while the experience should have lasted only three minutes, it felt more like 15 minutes, as if time had expanded inside the green glow. That's, uh, Linda says, it's very similar to Kevin's perception of more time having passed than what he realized while he was enveloped in the green rolling mist. Kevin, the, the trooper, excuse <coughs> me, was not inside the mist, but apparently Arnson was, and uh, was just overcome by all of these feelings. Um, very strange. What was it? That's a good Why question. Green? What was it? Why green? And I'm just glad to know that the little deer came out of it. I know. I'm glad I, he I didn't just, shoot the deer. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't shoot the scrawny little thing. Yeah, and scrawny little yearling <laughs> laying there. But that's but, it. Was that that factor that he made the decision not to kill? Hmm. That the green mist came and then made him feel shameful, and then when it left, he felt euphoric. I've never heard anything like that. A lot of things we haven't heard of. But. Yeah, there are. There are a lot of strange things, are there not? Yeah. So. Very, very odd. So um, that's just kind of like a, another category of this green mist situation. Um, Linda did um, interview an awful lot of people about this, and like I said, some of them had multiple experiences. We're coming up close to the bottom of the hour, yeah. shall I? Well, I can, if you want, I can do a quick story here about the soldiers. Sure. And uh, yeah. we got about two minutes to the bottom of the hour. Yeah, okay. Um, so this is another, another rather strange case example. Is uh, Well, it's a good indication that this isn't just something that's new. This is, whatever this is, true. is a phenomenon that has been happening been for, for a while. quite a while. Yeah. So this is World War One, right? This is World War One, okay. and it's a case where three soldiers witnessed the bizarre disappearance of an entire battalion. Mm. And a, a battalion, if I'm correct, is three thousand men. A whole lot of people. And uh, yeah, it is. It's a lot. Of, it's a bunch. Mm. Mm. Uh, this was in uh, 1915. Uh, they say a fog bank seemed to swallow up, swallow up an entire battalion. It occurred during the infamous Gallipoli campaign of World War I. Three members of a New Zealand field company watched as a battalion of Royal Norfolk Regiment marched up a hillside in Solver Bay, Turkey, into a heavy fog, and they never came out. 
after the last of the battalion had entered the fog, the fog lifted into the sky and became one with the other clouds. The battalion was never seen again. 3,000 men walked into a fog. The fog lifted and they were gone. Okay, so where were, th- where were the three witnesses and where were the men that were made to disappear? The men who disappeared were marching up a hillside in Solva Bay, Turkey. Okay, and where were the three witnesses? Often like another hill or something? They must have been. I mean, it doesn't actually say where they were. They just, three soldiers witnessed the bizarre disappearance. So they they were probably like over on the next hill or something. Just far enough away so that they didn't get caught up in it. Yeah. But. So they watched the cloud descend. Is that what it did? Or mist descend? The uh, the cloud, mist, whatever you want to call it, a heavy fog, just mm-hmm. just kind of appeared over over the, over the hill where the, where these soldiers were marching up, and they were marching into the fog, the cloud, the mist, mm-hmm. and then after the last one, after they had all disappeared into the cloud, the cloud lifted up into the sky, Weird. and there was nobody there; they were all gone. Now, where do 3,000 soldiers just disappear to? Where did you find that, Willie? What is the source of that material? On the Internet, right? Exactly. <laughs> you, you don't remember the... Uh... I do not. Okay. I, Could I it have been explored, about dot .com, paranormal? Uh, I don't think it was. I explored so many uh, sites. Okay. That I really couldn't tell you where this one came from. Very interesting. Okay, I guess we're at the bottom of the hour now, so we're going to have to take a quick break, so please don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, and Supernatural Magazine, one of the UK's top paranormal magazines, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience on WSCA 106.1 FM. And Lynn, we have some upcoming guests for us. Yeah, our guest list starts on the 14th of January. We're welcoming Artie Clark, and she has written More Encounters with Star People. She's got three books out. We're going to be discussing her latest, which is what I just named, but the stories are fascinating. Um... Native American peoples have been experiencing star people for quite a while. And then on the 21st, we are welcoming Jim Mars. He's the author of Alien Agenda and several other books, um, often conspiratorial information. So we're really looking forward to having Jim on as well. And that uh, wraps up our guest list, Willie. Okay. So uh, tonight we are talking about strange myths. Um, Paranormal myths, ghosts, um, Portals, portals, cloaking devices, <laughs> cloaking devices, all sorts of strange, strange uh, things. Um, and did you want to uh, lead off with uh, with your next? Well, yeah, um, uh, to add on to the cloaking devices, you, you know that's what the U.S. government was trying to do. But there yep. are some cloaking device um, situations in nature that seem to that I've got a couple of stories on. Well, okay, uh, I'm of, glad you of, do because I'm intrigued. <laughs> Excuse me. Before I get into that, though, I wanted to mention one more story about a green mist. This one occurred in England. 
And it is uh, found again in Monsters Among Us by Linda Godfrey. It happened in Averley in Essex, England in 1974. Uh, she found this story and she wanted to include it in her book because it really is very similar to these others that I've mentioned. So um, this was retold by Patrick Harper in his book, uh, Demonic Reality. Uh, but don't let that throw you. This is really quite an interesting um, account. In this incident, a family consisting of two parents and their three school-aged children noticed a blue light tracking them along the roadside trees as they drove from home um, drove home from a social event one evening. It doesn't say what time of year, however. After some minutes, <clears throat> the light finally stopped appearing, and the next thing they noticed was that the world around them went silent, just as their car entered a large mass of green fog or mist. The phenomenon shorted out their car's radio and stopped the engine momentarily. It seemed like only seconds until the car's engine somehow started up again and the automobile burst from the fog, and when they checked the time, they could not account for over two hours. A family of five driving on the highway, and they can't account for two, two hours. Two hours of missing time. Yeah. So they also discovered that their television had gone dead once they finally got home. Nothing else seemed to happen on the way home. But once they got home, their television died. And then the family continued to endure nightmares and even poltergeist activity in the home. Hmm. And weirdly, every member of the family developed a strong aversion to meat of any kind. Now, mm. that, that again, really strange. I mean, we keep topping ourselves here on strangeness. Aversion it, to meat? I, I don't know. I, whatever this yeah, was, I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't want to meet up with this. <laughs> what would I do without meat? I know. Um, but it, it harkens back to this, this other fellow who was out in the field and felt this euphoria Sadness and then euphoria after he decided yeah. not to kill the deer. Mm. So there's a little correlation there. I'm not exactly sure mm. what it is, but it's almost... Yeah, I get it now. He didn't want to kill the deer, yeah. and then the other ones had an aversion to meat, which you would have to kill an animal. To... Right. So it's almost yeah. like this mist was sentient, mm. It like it had a purpose and an yeah. intelligence about it. Mm. Um, just bizarre. So... Um, uh, Harper goes on to say that he calls this a supernatural lapse of time in fairyland because he does say that there's a lo the motif of missing time is a common theme in folklore. <clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, well, excuse me. Okay. He also notes that a high percentage of such cases occur when the person or persons affected are either riding in or driving a car. Hmm. Uh, as, it, as what happened with Kevin and the British family. So even though these green mists behave oddly to be accounted for by just standard roadside fog or condensation, <clears throat> it's apparent that the world is full of weird atmospheric conditions. And... Again, conditions that seem to be sentient in some way. Not all of them, but there there are a couple of cases now that are. Yeah, um, I was just thinking. You know, roadside fog is uh, normal fog isn't green. No, you know, for, for one thing. Yeah, and that's good, Willie. You're 
for you, did, are, did right? You, did, you see, did you see how I picked right up on yeah, that? You're good. All right. And I know there was more to that thought, but uh, I'm not I'm sure now what, I'm not sure now what it is. So, so carry on. <laughs> okay, so roadside fog. So that was a family in Avely, Essex, England in 1974. So do you have another example? Because I've got a couple more here of uh, especially cloaking so um no actually i i don't on that subject i i have a, a story about a woman uh seeing a dark mist a ghostly mist in her house oh yeah and you know but if you want to uh, go ahead with uh another one there but uh, speaking of that though if anybody wants to call in with a story or it could be a ghostly story or any other type of story concerning a mist of some sort uh 603-430-9722 um, this this next one is a little bit long. Um, you, you so, well, which which other one were you going to talk about? Um, I actually didn't tell you about this one, except it's a uh, a woman. What do you mean the other one? The other one was the will of wisps. Oh no! Okay, the one with the the dark shadow. That yeah, the dark shadow. You want me yeah, to well, go why ahead don't you and go into uh, that? Yeah. All right. Well, this uh, this is a story. Uh, a woman uh, reports that uh, she would see what she called a dark smoke. Uh, first, it appeared in her hallway, and it seemed to always uh, f- be flowing from the master bedroom to her teenage son's room. It was mostly, though, in the hall. Uh, once, it did appear in the living room. At the time, she says, my life was a nightmare. Abusive spouse who lost his mother. One dear friend passed away while we lived lived there, uh, job, losses, etc. My husband was diagnosed suddenly with a horrible heart disease and diabetes while he lived there, and he died 18 months later in the hospital. Oh, I never stayed there alone again after that and, and moved uh, a month later. The mist continued to appear during the moving process, but didn't follow me. In uh, a former apartment that we had shared, she says, I saw a white smoky mist all the time, lingering in the kitchen, the bedroom, and inside the oven, of all places. Really? In the oven, yeah. Uh, she said there were no appliances, appliance issues. In fact, we hardly ever cooked in there. It manifested a few months before my late husband's mother was diagnosed with cancer and before she later died. My eyes were fine. I even had them checked just to make sure, she says. Uh, We moved, and I didn't see white mist for years until living with my now ex-husband. Apparently, he's a different husband. Uh, It manifested in one corner of of the kitchen next to a storage room. Also, I believe that my late husband, this was the abusive one Mm -hmm. who died, uh, I believe that he was there until I, I yelled at the presence to leave me alone. says, I also sensed uh, my late father was there, too, as if to protect me. Hmm. I used to smell his pipe tobacco all the time, and there were no other smokers in the house. None of these homes were old. The uh, previous ones were all in apartment complexes. says, Now I have a new, wonderful life, and I'm terrified to see these mists again. Because mm. they feel like premonitions, so there's there's a case yeah. of uh, a ghost ghostly mist. Um, yeah, that definitely does seem to be an entity. That's that would be my take on it. 
But I wonder, was it a, a was it the entity of the uh, abusive husband, I, ex-husband? I don't know. Well, it's uh, almost like it was a harbinger of bad you know? news, well, you know. Sort of. But then she also sensed her father around protecting her, so. Well, two yeah. different messages, well, her father yeah, well, protecting, yeah. and so I'm, I'm kind of thinking the other one's a harbinger, and I don't know if something like that falls into the category of an elemental or a negative spirit. There, there's just so many different categories, and yeah. who knows? I yeah. do uh, have... The fact that uh, the uh, the first mist that she said... Um, Oh, it was dark smoke. I was I was thinking she said black, but it was dark smoke. So dark that's smoke. that kind of, well, not actual yeah. smoke, but dark, smoky-looking mist. Yeah. So. Um, one of the other <clears throat> stories that I've got talks about a gray mist. Okay. Um, but relative to what you were just telling me, um, I think I'll switch to the the very last story, but this this falls more in line with what you just talked about. Again, this happened over in Europe, a great place to be. <laughs> I know. It's so many cool castles oh, and, and great stuff over there. Um, this story is found in Angels, Fairies, Demons, and the Elementals. It's written by John Van Auken, A-U-K-E-N, and he is actually an expert on the Edgar Casey files. He is a director of Edgar Casey's ARE. He is um, a man of God. He reads the Bible. He's actually an expert on the Bible. Ancient prophecies, world religions, and ancient Egypt. And I believe this is his second book. <clears throat> and he's got very, very many interesting stories that are related to Edgar Casey. Edgar Casey, of course, was a seer in the first part of the 20th century. So... He talks about Edgar Casey seeing fairies and so forth, but he was also given uh, some other stories, and this one came from a very dear friend, and it does involve fairies, but it also involves this mist situation that we're talking about. So this took place in the Scottish Highlands, and this man, who was a good friend of John Van Auken, he was a career geologist. So he and his wife went on a vacation in the uh, Scottish Highlands to a section called... I guess it was actually like a national park. It's the National Trust Reserve called the Trossachs, T-R-O-S-S-A-C-H-S. <clears throat> he and his wife went on a nature walk. It was about a mile um, from the visitor center, and they went to this area that was a waterfall, and the area was um, surrounded by a ridge. And he talks about the ridge line. He says uh, it was pure, opaque, white snow quartz. Hmm. Snow quartz. Snow quartz. I uh, actually I do. And I think that the mineralogy amplified the energies there, providing a vibrational field that makes the other dimensional realm much more tangible. This is what this this uh, geologist was saying. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, "We found a beautiful spot in a little grove. We both sat down on a log, and then I brought along some quartz, and I put the quartz crystal down in front of us, and we started concentrating. He said, almost immediately, we began to see little starbursts sparkling all around the area. He said, some were like translucent orbs. About a half dozen of them floated near us, and the orb bubbles 
transformed into translucent fairy beings, and they seem to afloat. Fairy beings. Fairy beings. It was almost like Tinkerbell is the impression that I get. Tinkerbell, okay. Yeah. And don't forget, too, that um, Arthur Conan Doyle says that he saw fairies. He swears by that. He did anyway. (laughs) Okay. I believe you. (laughs) Well, he's no longer alive. Um, So he said the fairies floated around the quartz crystals, and their energy had a lightness to them. Had, had a lightness to it, and it made them um, feel giddy, and they felt like they were being tickled. Hmm. They just felt really happy watching these little fairies. But well, he said... Wouldn't, wouldn't you be happy watching little yes, fairies? Yes, I would be. Little people? Little fairies? Oh, Don't get me started on little thing. people. <laughs> then, about 100 feet or so away, amidst a dark wooded area, a smoky fog began to swirl about and move. That caught our attention. And we looked over at it, and we saw this gray fog, which manifested into a tangible, semi-physical form of a being with a human-like body standing on two hoofed legs Uh and covered in dark brown hair. Things are going downhill. Very weird. Uh, The mid-torso was that of a muscular man, but it had the head of a bull with short horns, and it began to float towards us. And then then the fairies disappeared. Now, I want to... Can you blame them? Yeah. (laughs) I want to stop here for a second because this sounds an awful lot like Pan from Greek mythology. Pan is the the god that takes... It's a nature spirit, and it takes care of the woods and the wild things, and it, uh, it is the consort of the nymphs. At least nymphs. Nymphs. Um, at least that's part of the mythology. But the odd thing about Pan is everything else that he describes sounds like Pan. But he, Pan does have the face of a human. But he does have horns growing out of his head. He does not have a bull's head. So I don't know exactly what this thing was. It might have been an elemental. But then again, maybe Pan is considered an elemental. I don't know. But the similarities are very close the only difference is the head of a bull mm, yeah. as opposed to a head of a human, but everything yeah. else fits. So anyway, the fairies disappear, and he says this energy startled us, and it sent shivers up our arms. He says, my, my, my wife was scared to death. He said, I was fascinated, though, and it looked like the gargoyle figures carved on the effacement of some of the local medieval Scottish castles. Um, so this being started then to float closer and closer to him, this bull-headed man. Well, that's pretty funny, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've met a few of those. And he said, my, my wife then became terrified. terrified. In front of the gargoyle, a bright light appeared, and we saw the manifestation of a grandfatherly man with a kind face and a short white beard. And he mm. called himself Sandy. At least he was telepathically... Uh, communicating with this man's wife. But to call himself Sandy, my first thought was Sandman. But anyway, he said he told the wife not to be afraid, and then suddenly he evaporated. So although my wife felt better, she wanted to go back to the car. So he said, I believe that we were able to see the fairies and the gargoyle because of the unique combination of energies within this concentrated dimensional overlay. So they were in the woods, and there was an awful lot of quartz crystal around. He said, I believe that certain forms of elementals are electrical in nature, and that we experience both the negative electrical life forms and the positive ones. 
And he said, however, a few years later, we actually got to see these gargoyle forms again. He says they were not quite as big as the ones of the Trossacks, but we saw one on a rock in the Andes of Venezuela, identical in form, and another one at Stewart Mineral Springs near Mount Shasta in California. Now, do you know if both of these other places had the, the quartz? I don't know, but considering just, on a rock in Venezuela, so... Well, yeah, rock. I was just wondering... Yeah, I, I don't know about the quartz. How much the quartz had to do with it. I'm sure the rocks have something to well, do with it, though. rocks in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, he said, I believe there are beings of the elemental type that are quite conscious and exist in electrical format, the fire element, actually, with some of the positive end and of the electrical spectrum, and some are on the negative end. So he feels that this this negative being he considers to be plasmic, as he explains it, and he feels that the negative entities feed off negative emotions. The wife started to get scared, but this other entity appeared and for out of protection. Mm. And it seemed like everything dissipated after that. But again, it was a dark fog. Yeah. And then something developed out of the fog. Very, very similar to what other people have seen. I mean, who's to say that this stuff isn't real? And where do, where do um, characters from mythology come from? Where does mythology come from? Romans, Greeks, they, they all have it. And it's not just them. Seems like every culture has their own mythology, and there are parallels to others. That's true. I know one thing, though. After tonight, you're probably going to think twice about going out on a foggy night. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or out alone. Alone. Yeah. <laughs> on a foggy night. Yeah. I think I'll pass up on that. <laughs> You'll pass on that one, huh? <laughs> but Stay was... home in front of the fire where it's safe. Yeah. Never go out again. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that, that this came from a book from a man of God, and he felt very much that this career geologist was for real, as well as his wife. This mm. is something they both saw and experienced from fairies to a gargoyle-type elemental to uh, a kindly bearded man who wanted to protect them. A kindly bearded man like myself. Very similar. Very similar. Different. Yeah. Different, but very similar. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but, tr- but truly, um, strange stuff, huh? Oh yeah, strange, so very strange how, stuff. I, how do you explain that? I I don't explain it. It's not my job to explain it. It's only my job to pass along the information. I, I just want to pique your interest and your curiosity, Willie. I know, but. <laughs> it's still I don't not, have an explanation. It's still not going to get me to explain it because I can't. No, I, I don't have any idea either. <laughs> Did um, you have another story? Well, I can tell you a little bit about the Will of the Wisp. I'll, I'll make it, uh, oh. I'll shorten it up a little bit. Okay. It's another strange little phenomenon. It's also known as Ignis Fatuus, which is a medieval Latin word for foolish fire. Mm. Uh, it's an atmospheric ghost light seen by travelers at night, especially over bogs, swamps, or marshes. It resembles a flickering light with the, with the light often being a bluish color and is said to recede if approached, drawing travelers from the safe paths. 
<clears throat> the Will of the Wisp is the most common name given to the mysterious lights that are said to lead travelers from the well-trodden paths into treacherous marshes. The tradition exists with slight variations throughout Britain with lights of uh, <clears throat> bearing a regional name, including Jack-O-Lantern, Friar's Lantern, Hinky Punk. I like that one. Hinky Punk. Hinky Punk. Just like Pudwudgie. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Pudwudgie, like only Hinky too. Punk. Uh, and Hobby Lantern, uh, uh, some of the European. There are very various explanations for the Will of the Wisps, but most general being that they are malevolent spirits, either of the dead or non-human intelligence. They have a mischievous and often malevolent nature, luring unwary travelers into dangerous situations. Yeah, that's what I've heard. They try to lure children away into the yeah. woods. And uh, What? Sykes, that's W-I-R-T, Sykes, S-I-K-E-S, in his book, British Goblins, alludes to a common story of a uh, Welsh will-o'-wisp. A peasant who was traveling home late in the evening sees a bright light traveling before him. Looking closer, he sees that the light is the lantern held by a dusky little figure, uh, which he follows for several miles and suddenly finds himself standing on the edge of a great chasm with a roaring torrent of water rushing below him. At that moment, the lantern carrier leaps across the fissure, raises the light over his head, and lets out a malicious laugh, after which it blows out the light leaving the unfortunate man far from home, standing in pitch darkness at the edge of a precipice. Hmm. But they're not always dangerous, and there are tales about will-of-the-wisps being guardians of treasure, leading those brave enough to follow them to sure riches. And in many uh, places, the will-of-the-wisps were associated with spirits of the dead who could not enter either heaven or hell, malignantly wandering the earth, leading foolish travelers astray. Catherine Briggs mentions uh, the Shropshire Will of Will the Smiths. Yeah. In her book, A Dictionary of Fairies, uh, St. Peter allowed a wicked blacksmith named Will a second chance to live a wholesome life, life on earth. But he lived it in such an evil way that he was doomed to wander the earth in purgatory. The devil allowed him one grace, a burning piece of pit coal, to warm him on his desolate walk through the wildlands, which he uses to lead wanderers into the marshes. The lights were also seen as death omens, and when seen within graveyards, they were known as corpse lights. Mm. These were said to light the path of an oncoming, uh, of, yeah, of a coming funeral from the victim's home to the graveyard. In a, uh, in a form of small flickering flames. I'm getting tongue-tied. Mm, I've heard that before. <laughs> in, uh, in other tales, the lights were often said to appear in places where a tragedy was about to occur. Uh, kind of sounds like um, physically like the Marfa lights. How much time do we have left? Uh, about, about less than a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, let me just mention there is. Um, I mentioned the cloaking situation with the mist, and there is a hunter here. He will. He's really um, a retired mathematician uh, mm -hmm. living in Wisconsin. He he kept finding five-toed tracks on his property. He could not find out what the heck the thing was, so he put up trail cameras. Uh, his trail cameras captured mists in the same location where he had placed carcasses of dead animals because he was trying to figure out 
what had been walking on his property. So mm. he had three different kinds of roadkill that he had put out there. The third one was a deer carcass, and it disappeared. And there were five toad tracks around this carcass. Um, but when he looked on his camera, all he saw was a mist, a mist. hanging above a, a white mist, hovering above the, the carcass of the deer. The first three, um, first two animals, he hadn't got the trail cam set up. Mm. After that, he decided to do that with the, the deer. He could not see what took the deer. Just at the during this period of time, for about six hours, the camera took a uh, hundred photos, and then it was clear again, and the carcass was gone. So, so it whatever it was cloaked itself in the mist, carried off the carcass, and then it returned to normal. So, so the deer was there, and then the the mist appeared, and, and then the deer and left, like shrouded the the deer, I assume, mm-hmm. and then when the mist disappeared, exactly, the deer was gone. Which is pretty darn strange. And he uh, he also offered photos of the mist. Hmm. Very very strange. So there you go. Was it was it sentient? Sentient? What was that? That was another very strange occurrence yeah. in the yeah. world of paranormal mists. That's right. Well, and we, with that, we hope you've enjoyed our stories tonight and certainly uh, piqued your curiosity. And we enjoyed telling them to you. We know that much anyways. <laughs> but uh, we are out of time. And so that is Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. And Craig Mosier with the Graveyard Shift is coming right up. And everyone, thank you for listening and have a good evening. In this one of many possible worlds All for the best Or some bizarre test It is what it is And whatever Time is still the infinite jest The arrow flies when the hours tick away, the cells tick away, the watchmaker keeps to his schemes, the hours tick away, they tick away, the measure of a life is a measure of love and respect, so hard to earn so easily